Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Hello bookends and welcome to another special bonus episode. We're so excited to share with you one of the most anticipated releases of the year, Limelight by Daisy Buchanan. Limelight is a story about sisterhood, sexuality, self-esteem. We follow Frankie, a complex woman who seems to crave attention yet is wrapped up in self-doubt. This book is about how we cope when living in a world which constantly tells us who we are, what happens when we stop listening and start paying attention to who we need to become. Daisy Buchanan is an award-winning journalist, author, TEDx speaker and host of the hit bookish podcast, Your Booked, where she's interviewed the likes of Dolly Alderton, Mallory Blackman, Curtis Sittenfeld and Elif Shafak, amongst many other literary icons. She's written for many major publications in the UK, from The Guardian to Grazia, and has written five books. Her non-fiction titles include How to Be a Grown-Up and The Sisterhood, and her novels Insatiable, A Love Story for greedy girls careering and her latest limelight explore all that it means to be a woman alive today from trying to start your career to sex and sexuality to body image to the chaotic world of social media she can do it all it is unsurprising that Daisy is loved by so many and I am so excited that we have finally nabbed Daisy for the podcast so Daisy welcome to a pair of bookends hello bookends hello Hannah and Lydia I'm so happy and so excited to be here thank you so much for having me on this brilliant podcast you are you've been on my list for like I want these are the people that I want on the podcast and you were one of them so (laughs) this is so exciting (laughs) my heart is bursting hopefully not literally although I am on my second coffee so let's see oh okay so there's a chance (laughs) we always love to start the podcast by picking your brains and asking you what you're currently reading or what you've read recently that you've loved I love that question and sometimes I feel a bit like oh I'm not really reading anything at the moment like I just I finished Yellow Face this weekend I absolutely binged it I'm sure lots of people on here have been talking about that I know everyone in the world has been talking about it and as you know some a writer and someone who's kind of in the world of publishing and I don't know if you've read it yet and if you found that but it's like this is amazing and also quite triggering so mm-hmm. while I get my breath back I think I'm reading three books and one oh. my friend recommended and it's only available on Kindle and but it came out years ago and I loved it so much it's called The 52 Seductions it's by Betty Herbert now I came across this book because this writer has gone on to become incredibly famous and writes beautiful things under a different name. And I don't want to out them, but The 52 Seductions is a kind of a memoir and it's so funny and it's so warm. And it's about a couple who they've been married for a little while and they used to be, I think, can I say horny? <laughs> yes. They used to have a lot of sex. And as I think happens to so many of us, you know, it's sort of, they've, you know, lost each other a bit and they're still really in love and they still want each other, but just life has got in the way and they're not together in the way they used to be. So she, Betty, the writer, sets a challenge and says, okay, like we go, we're going to take turns once a week. We're going to do a proper, proper seduction of each other, whatever form that takes. And that can be sweet and romantic, or it can be, you know, kind of wild and a bit kinky, but 
the warmth of it and the wit of it. It's a really generous, really, really honest book. And I love sexy books, as um, you might have guessed. But um, <laughs> occasionally, sometimes I wrote a sexy memoir. It's a bit like, and I was having all the sex and I was so sexy and everyone wanted me. <laughs> and this isn't that at all it's there's a real vulnerability and tenderness and it's it's a love story but it's what happens after the happily ever after so I recommend that so so hard I'm not sure you can get the print copies but you know go to the bad place get the kindle get the ebook I love it I am also reading another horny book which is a bit more Uh, I'm sexy having all the sex (laughs) it's called I could not believe it the 1979 teenage diaries of Sean Delia and this is we've just come out of um, pride month but pride month should be every month and I didn't really know anything about Sean Delia the introduction is written by uh, Brontes Pinnell who I'm a big fan of and this is about Sean who I guess this is one of like if you think you know oh you know the the gender and sexuality and Quinn all those conversations are happening now it's like no this was happening in 1979 uh, Sean Delia is a teenager having absolutely tons of underage sex in Los Angeles Sean is black in a and I'm you know anxious about uh, misgendering them because I think that there are lots of records about how and I think there's an element of sort of drag in their lives but yeah just constantly dreaming about hooking up with older guys and blackmailing them for money for acting classes and just desperate to kind of be in Hollywood and be a someone but it's so sort of giddy and unselfconscious and enthusiastic there's such a, a life force there just having a blast and it's weird how the concerns are so adult and so childish and teenage at the same time so I'm having a final time with that uh, quite a lot of glory holes so you know be aware <laughs> and trigger warnings <laughs> I'm reading um, Push Off From Here. I think it's called The Nine Essential Truths of Sobriety by Laura McCowan. I loved Laura McCowan's first memoir, which I think was called We Are the Luckiest. I might have to Google that. I am a year sober. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's like a year last week. And this is that I had to order this book from America, which was annoying because, again, I had to do that from the place I prefer not to use. Yes, her first book is called We Are the Luckiest. It's Pricing Magic of a Sober Life. And I love that. And Push Off From Here is, I guess, it's got elements of memoir in it. And I know her story so well. I'm really interested in emotional sobriety and drinking as a way of just, you know, dealing with the fact that I had too many feelings and wanted to be numb. And I'm like, I suppose I just have to have these feelings. That sucks. Okay. But again, (laughs) Laura is generous and wise. And one of the many writers, I think I discovered her through, she used to have a podcast with Holly Whitaker, who wrote Quit Like a Woman, which I also love. And all of these women challenging I suppose traditional ideas of like recovery and sobriety and obviously I have lots of friends who've been in AA I haven't been in AA I think that's incredibly helpful for lots of people and there are some parts of that and the steps that feel really wise and poetic and this idea of kind of spirituality and giving everything over to something that's bigger than yourself I think wherever we're at we could all use a bit of that and Laura's sort of navigating that in a way that is maybe a bit wider and fuller and she's one of the sobriety advocates who talks about the way that traditional recovery AA quite a lot of the time you know if you're not white if you're not a guy you know if you're queer those AA can exclude you and she's all about inclusion so yes I am loving it so I'm a greedy reader and I need a lot of books there are so many good recommendations there 
okay. I, they are some cracking recommendations yeah. <laughs> they really are um do you um are, so you're able to read mixture of fiction at the same time or is it just a mixture of fiction non-fiction that you can do kind of side by side I'm a big rereader so I'm always revisiting something and you know when I need to read for comfort which I always do that tends to be where I go I've just handed in a first draft of the next novel so I feel a bit like I'm coming up for air and I can be greedy with the books once more and I love I love revisiting things and finding forgotten things um I've not read much Barbara Pym and my husband came home yesterday with some really lovely I don't know if they're old Pan Max there's very sort of like classic of their time you know covers where it's a slightly lurid close-up of some flowers or something <laughs> which sort of makes Barbara Pym look like she's you know writing kind of Alistair McLeany like weird surreal <laughs> thrillers like no I don't think that's what it is so sometimes and a bit like with yellow face which I just loved so much but also I have lots of I read as much kind of contemporary fiction as I can it's nice to know what's going on at the same time I should I get really envious and really really insecure and sometimes with like the big books I feel a bit like reading them I'm just constantly going why didn't I write this why am I not this person (laughs) yellow face is actually excellent like okay I'm going to sit with all these insecurities and confront them so yes sometimes there's the odd book where I feel like oh god I really resent this this makes me feel terrible it's all about me 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 and then I read it and it's magnificent I think yes damn them right they are excellent but I do I think even when I don't feel like I'm really you know reading something I am reading all the time and it, to be honest it I don't watch that much tv and that I don't mean that in a kind of oh I'm so noble with my reading books but <laughs> I watch repeats all the time I watch family guy and grand designs and that's pretty okay. much it repeats of taskmaster eight out of ten cats does countdown kind of know those by heart and like the big book sets comedy I love and comedy I always want to watch but um yeah I think that my reading does mean there's lots of other stuff that I don't do that I'd I'd like to do that you know, I don't always feel like I'm in the current cultural conversation. So, but there's just so much, isn't there? there you is, can't do yeah. it all. No, and I no, think you can't. When you when you work in in the bookish world, there's always proofs to stay on top of, and then there's you know you want to revisit old books that you've not got to yet. Mm. Um, there's it just feels like there's so much. And I, I saw this um video that somebody posted yesterday that was like realizing that in your lifetime you're never going to get to read all the books you want to read. <laughs> I was like, no, horror. (laughs) But I, I, I totally understand that thing of like when you're writing, not being able to be like fully immersed in a load of other books, because I know that, and I think Hannah, you've said this to me before, is like when we're in plays or you know doing films or anything that our reading kind of has to take a back step because it's such a consuming task when you're reading a book it, it really does stay with you you can't find room to put anything else in no, if you're trying <laughs> to learn lines and keep a script no. in your head you can't read a book because it's like there's too too much <laughs> too much you find they all lead together a bit as well like if, yeah. you, if you've got a real voice in your head that's yeah. you go that that's the filter through which you see everything else yeah yeah absolutely and it, it especially if you're playing playing a character of quite a strong voice with a, within a character if you've then got someone else who's equally as strong in your head it's like a little battle that you have to like constantly <laughs> fight against so it's like no 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 intrusive people for the next four weeks please <laughs> 
do you ever find though and this is sorry I should um remember the podcast dynamic you're asking me questions but um, I love it when you have when you're learning a new part you've got a new character is there anything that you've read that kind of still lives in your head that you 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 want to bring to the stage sort of from the page like or is it do you kind of try to keep everything super separate I think for me I tend to rather than read or I mean I do like basic research so obviously I know what I'm talking about but I do tend to make like a Spotify playlist Mm. of like songs that either say something about the character or that they would be listening to or that really get me in the headspace so if this person like I'm just about to go into another play where the person is very very happy-go-lucky it's a comedy it's very fun so her playlist is just full of like really fun pop (laughs) like stuff that will just get you in the mood (laughs) That sounds awesome. I would love to hear that playlist if you're open to sharing it. That sounds I will brilliant. share it. <laughs> I really want to um, throw a spanner in the works um, because we normally stick to a Q&A format, but I have got a quick fire round for you, Daisy, if you do for it. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so let's just see what happens. Okay, first question. Who is your writing inspiration? I want to say Nora Ephron because she is on your t-shirt. Um, <laughs> Marion Keys, actually, I have to say. Do you want to know why or should we keep doing the quick fire? <laughs> okay, go on. No, I want to hear why. Sorry, <laughs> quick fire. It's her generosity and her empathy. She's incredibly funny. I think she's one of the funniest people and writers we've ever known. But she has these the secret profundity which I dream of wanting to do where the writer there's a warmth she is a writer who really takes you and pulls you through any narrative her world building is extraordinary and what I love about her novels and what I aspire to do is any character you meet could be a main character I just reread the other side of the story and there are characters that you see for like half a page, two seconds that she works, one of the characters works with, Gemma, the events manager. And there's a, I can't remember her name, the guy's called Moses, but you're like, Moses could absolutely carry a novel. You only yeah. know him for like five lines or <laughs> that's what uh, the the fullness of her world and that sense of even when the action's not happening, you almost want to kind of open doors and you'd like to sort of, God, I'd love to do a sort of like a Marion Keys escape room where you could just be nosy. <laughs> <laughs> and just go through drawers and wardrobes and see but also I don't know a writer like her who's as is generous and empathetic and raw and vulnerable but makes you feel so held and heard and seen mm. while making you laugh your ass off I think she's <laughs> I bow down and I think that there are lots of I mean I you know I think we are finally giving her her flowers hooray she's in that documentary with Alan Yentob the famous one what is it called imagine imagine yes thank you so I think we're finally copying on to the fact that she you know isn't people who are snobby about like oh there are pink shoes and glitter on the cover I'm not going to read that but actually I think writers who do feel like they only read big serious books and book prize when it's like oh my god <laughs> read Marion Keys she can teach us more in a chapter than I've learned from Shakespeare in a whole play god that's probably I'm, I'm going to go to people will be very upset that I've said that never mind <laughs> She's she's so great and I love I'm 
defo slipping out of the quick fire round here but she <laughs> even just her interviews like I just love listening to podcasts that she's done I just love like you said there's such a warmth to her and she's so supportive of other writers I listened to this yeah I think it was on the book off podcast that she there was an, an episode that she did with Nina Stibbe yes and it was so great it was just like women loving women and women supporting <laughs> women it was just so perfect and it brought me so much joy and I just think everybody needs to listen to that episode <laughs> I love that episode so much because Marion's also such a brilliant champion of Barry McFarlane who I adore and I think again she is her, I mean she sells in her millions you know she is yeah. fine she is very successful but also <laughs> I recently I think I recommended I think it's a new book Between Us to a guy on Instagram now this is um I don't know if this is like a sort of terrible me playing into the hands of patriarchy or whatever but I mean I have a handful of of guys who read me and my books are so so sort of female centric female led so much about women men rarely come off well so when I hear from a guy who has engaged with it and enjoyed it I'm just so so delighted and there was a guy and I was like you would love this Barry McFarlane book and he read it and he did I thought you know I think that man is now a fan for life and he's got this brilliant you know back catalogue to go through as well so yeah she has that again Vari does that incredible thing of, of the world building and I don't know anyone who writes like the friends you know like her mm, mm. I love that okay I'm gonna get back into my quick fire because <laughs> <laughs> We're doing well. Um, we always do a tangent. It's fine. Name a guest that you've had on your book that you were mega excited about. Oh, I think I'd possibly say Curtis Sittenfeld. Uh, you know, we've had Marion on, but I can't. Yeah. Partly because we were supposed to do a live episode with her and it was one of the first things that got cancelled in the pandemic. Yeah. So <sighs> we Zoomed. And I was genuinely worried it was going to be like in the Bridget Jones in the second book where she goes to interview Colin Firth. It's like, you're Colin Firth, aren't you? Yes. Again, she was incredibly, you know, sort of patient and generous and she wears heavy things lightly and light things you know, with the sort of the, the dignity they deserve. And I just remember being really, you know, almost thinking if I never get to do another podcast again, I can live with that. Um, <laughs> that is fine. And I did. And also I kind of, I love that her books sort of vary so much that you can write, you know, romantic comedy and American wife and that she's so ambitious, but then she's also not afraid to do something that's just, you know, really sweet and earnest and sort of sincere and straightforward. And I wish I could remember, I can't I should go back and listen to the episode I'm trying to remember like wise like things she said but I just remember that hour of you know seeing her face and seeing that and just feel like really really happy oh. yeah yeah and fun fact about her is we interviewed Brandon Taylor and oh cool he, yeah and he told us that when he was struggling as a writer financially she paid for him paid for a couple of meals for him so that he could eat and I just thought and she she said to him like if you ever tell any about this I'll just completely deny it but she, she <laughs> went ahead and did that for him and I just think that is so wonderful it's just it made me so emotional <laughs> oh man no. same same okay if you could have any of your books adapted which would you choose oh wow now there's a question so I mean you know I'm I don't think I'm allowed to talk about this but you know if it were to be insatiable that's um possibly looking like the most likely at the moment for uh reasons I can possibly elaborate on maybe the one I've just I'm working on at the moment which has a working title of uh you're better than this it is about um Catherine she's a young widow age 32 
she's someone who all you want to do is shake her and give her that Mary Oliver poem. You do not have to be good because all Catherine wants to be is good. She is, she works for a company that's sort of focused on, you know, making people worry about the environment and the state of the world and making change. Admittedly, the company itself isn't, doesn't really care about whether people change or not. They just want to make people feel terrible. And Catherine does. Catherine is sort of heading for a breakdown she's got a secret and she's terrified that everyone will discover it and that she believes no amount of good that she does will fundamentally fix the fact that she is inherently bad she sort of gets fired or put under full sabbatical after making a stupid mistake regarding the misspelling of a tweet with a quote attributed to the Dalai Lama she goes to this very shonky retreat and meets lots of different women who are in various stages of heartbreak or shilling crystals. And she's got to find her way back to herself and forgive herself and move on. And I think that the retreat bit and those women, it was so fun to write. And I did a first, I sort of got about 60,000 words in, showed it to my agent, and I'd written this, a retreat I'd like to go to that was really quite sanitized and quite glossy and quite luxe. And everyone was quite sensible and quite kind. And Diana's like, no, this is not working. So <laughs> let's make it a big old falling down house run by <laughs> terrible people. And that's when it got fun. So yeah, that's the um, I think that would be my dream. It's sort of my, I don't want to say it's my Rachel's holiday, but that inspired me a I lot. So that is so exciting. So, yeah, and that so would be a fun one to do. Don't forget that when this is adapted, which it will be, I, I'm sure. I will be casting you guys. Two, I, two actors here. <laughs> yes, I've already, please. the way I kind of, I see the casting in my mind's eye, I could probably, like one of you can be Catherine, the main character. Hannah, you are sort of how I picture Elena, who is Catherine's dorm mate at the retreat. And Elena is in her early 20s and she's really smart and sweet and lovely. She's been having a horrible affair with her much older boss, which has sort of broken her. But also Elena is broke and she keeps taking out payday loans to pay for all of these like Instagram courses by the mysterious Pandora whose retreat it is who never shows up and Elaine is just like I just if only I had like a grand I could pay for the money manifestation course and all my problems be over and Catherine's like no stop stop this now this sounds like my dream character and I am once the zoom calls over I'm going to ring my agent and say don't worry yeah. okay um keep 2027 free okay done definitely (laughs) the best person you know to turn to for book recs Ooh, i'm gonna say my friend joe west is crack it joe reads everything high low she put me onto a brilliant book called it's written by She wrote The Oxford Year, which I've not read yet. She's a very famous audiobook narrator. And this writer narrates all of Emily Henry's books. Julia Whelan, she's called. And the book is called Thank You For Listening. And it is a rom-com about romance audio stars. Also, Jo's great because she reads a lot of like kind of everything kind of romance to fantasy to horror to classics. She is the best read person I know. And she'll be like, look, this looks like fantasy or this looks like a thriller. And I know this isn't necessarily your thing, but trust me on this one. You are going to love this. Um, Also, my friend Sophie Morris is fantastic. I borrowed her copy of Yellow Face. We do (laughs) a lot of book swapping. And she is one of the people, this isn't, I'm like, let's make it all about me and turn it into my (laughs) thing. But Sophie is a person that I have recommended Barbara Trapido to, and she's taken to Barbara Trapido with alacrity. So I like to think it's, 
it goes both ways. I have still not read Brother of the More Famous Jack and I really want to read it. Oh, it's such a delicious treat to have coming in your future. Like you will get to it when you're ready and it will make you so happy. It sounds so good. Everyone just raves about it and Meg Mason has talked about it in every interview she's given. So I'm like, okay, I need to read this now. (laughs) Okay, the horniest book you've ever read. Oh, brilliant question. (laughs) I love it. I think I remember being quite young and reading, I think it was Polo by Jilly Cooper, which isn't one necessarily that I kind of go back and revisit. But one of the first scenes is Jessie, the kind of spoiled, unhappy wife of, I think she's married to Ricky. This is really bad because I'm supposed to be like someone who knows her, Jilly Cooper. But (laughs) Chessie is kind of a brat, but she married quite young. She doesn't feel very seen in her marriage. And she goes off with Bart, the millionaire, in his helicopter. And I think he spanks her in the helicopter and then they fly down and like have sex you know hiding in some trees and just because of being quite young and quite like it's the kind of the first time I'd read anything that explicit I'm like oh my goodness me <laughs> let's go this is great and I don't think anything I've read since has quite um measured up to that but then mm-hmm. the book I mentioned at the beginning the seductions that's a recent horny book and that's great because as um I hurtle towards my 40s the tenderness there makes it you know deliciously you know sweet and yeah I think I appreciate it in a way that I might not have done you know in my teens or even my 20s I thought that uh, Luster by Raven Elani was really horny because it's got that feeling of she you know her wanting to objectify herself and that probably inspired limelight a bit I think Mm. you know Luster's magnificent again that was a book that I'm just in awe of what a brilliant brilliant writer she is so and now I'm gonna remember lots of horny books like why did I say (laughs) well I'm just gonna throw out that your book Insatiable is one of the horniest that I've ever read so Mm -hmm. I am (laughs) delighted to hear that thank you so much Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, final one in my quick fire round. If readers have finished Limelight and are looking for something with similar vibes, what would you recommend? Oh, uh, that is a great question. I might suggest Idol by Louise O'Neill, which I loved, which is about an influencer kind of at the peak of her powers and losing her powers. But it is very much about the sort of attention, how we see ourselves, how we are seen, and sort of desperation to control the narrative. Um, and another bit that has that element in the book I loved that I feel like did phenomenally well in America, but maybe not as much here, that not everyone likes are The Luckiest Girl Alive by Jessica Knoll, which yes. is, did you read that? I've not read it, no, but it's been adapted, hasn't it, with my yeah. Oh yeah, and I've not seen yes, the adaptation not, yet, yeah. but it's it's delicious. And again, I think I think I emailed Jess, um, emailed, I interviewed Jessica Knoll for the pool like, a million years ago and it was packaged in a very thrillery way and I might have missed it otherwise, but it's really about how it's about a woman who has a very glossy together career she's working in New York she's a magazine she's about to get married to a guy who seems sort of perfect on paper it's that really kind of pre I would say sort of pre-2015 you know a world that still has a you know glossy sex and city appealing vibe where you're like I know this is sort of terrible but I kind of love it but then her dark past comes back to haunt her and it's due with a 
there's some very difficult things that have happened to her and she's trying to stop them from surfacing but it's got that I th- what I loved as well because I you know some people say like oh you know well there's not really a class system in America is there and I'm like there so is mm-hmm. and this is what it's about that she the heroine grew up and her parents marriage was failing and it's because her mum was so desperate to keep up appearances and try to kind of nudge them into I suppose the next sort of league and she was around lots of very wealthy very careless classmates who are it sort of got that kind of I think if you love succession which I do there's a and you're curious about you know and I love those characters like cousin Greg and mm-hmm. everyone who's sort of just orbiting outside the world trying to push their way in I think yeah yeah you will love this so many good recommendations already <laughs> and now we can get on to your amazing book Limelight yeah so I mean I love the book and I, I can you. speak on behalf of both of us yep. to say that we love this this is a book um, and we we kind of have a threshold for the books that we really love which is have you texted each other about it as you're reading and that definitely was something that was happening here one oh, thing so that I'm happy to hear that thank you honestly it was so it's so good one thing that really struck me was that the book is really intrinsically about sisterhood in its many forms you know you, you can be sisters not by blood but Frankie who's our main character and Bean who is her sister they kind of couldn't appear to be more different and at the face of it yet they have have this kind of love for each other that is so beautiful that despite their many differences actually you know that love really connects them can you tell us about why sisterhood was so important in this book I love that question so really I wanted to set things up with the sisters and then drag Frankie straight into this world and have her be a fish out of water and you know that she sort of gets thrust into the limelight has to deal with that and it's my brilliant editor Darcy Nicholson who kept saying this is a story about sisters I want to know what happens to Frankie and Bean bring them back stay stay with this call and I think I was quite frightened about writing that relationship I've got five sisters I wrote a book called The Sisterhood a sort of a memoir about you know using my relationship with my many sisters to explore that connection and relationship that women have with each other and the way we want to love each other and see ourselves in each other and bond and lift each other up but of course there is so much comparison and envy and jealousy and tension that comes with that because hello the patriarchy it's the world we live in (laughs) so I was thinking how on earth can I write about what it's like to have one sister who is your whole world and I suppose I was doing a little bit of maybe cosplay because I'm the big sister and weirdly I'm not like Bean. Bean is in some ways quite a lot like my sister Grace who has two children and Grace is really creative and really talented but also very pragmatic and very balanced and when we were growing up people would refer offhandedly to Grace as oh she's the the beautiful one isn't she she's the pretty one and, you know I didn't like this when I was a kid and I think it's it's just so fascinating to have these women and I'm so lucky to have these women in my life who understand me in a way that no one else can I don't have to explain myself to my sisters because we were all raised the same way there's so I think all families are secretly weird and to have people that understand that level of weirdness is a privilege Mm. people you've not got to kind of explain your context for but at the same time to be like but how can we be the same 
and yet so different. And Frankie and Bean have grown up with quite a complicated, I suppose, original set of stimulus. You know, their father died and they're very little. They don't really remember it. Their mother, Alison, is this wannabe stage mom who is always trying to thrust her daughters into being the centre of attention. Alison is also desperate to kind of be seen herself and sort of perform a sexuality and femininity in the way that feels old-fashioned at best and quite camp. I think Alison is quite camp and quite performative. And this intensity has forced Frankie and Bean in two opposite directions that Bean is sort of unequivocally like, no, no limelight, no attention. I hate it. Bean is, and I think the conclusion that Frankie's drawn is Bean is so beautiful and so solid in that she doesn't need any proof. Bean doesn't need the attention. Frankie feels as though if only I could have what Bean has, which is beauty, I wouldn't feel so insecure and so wobbling and so threatened and anxious all the time. The fact that I feel this way is proof that I'm not beautiful enough. I must externally get the attention, fix myself, and then I'll be fine and then I'll relax. And obviously that's not true. And I think that we only really see the way Bean looks through Frankie's eyes. And I wanted to be quite vague about the way Frankie looked, that we only ever really see that through her eyes, that she feels that she is enough when she takes pictures of herself and edits them and not enough when the rest of the world is looking at her unfiltered so I mean that's something I think with sisters as well that we don't I look at my sisters and I can look at myself and think there's actually it's I know it's really awful to quote yourself but I think there's a line in the sisterhood where I write about trying to make peace with my body and my face and all of this and the way that I'm sort of I'm undermining something really precious if I'm really cruel and critical about myself and I say you know of course like I look like a beautiful woman I look like five of them because I look like my sisters and they are so beautiful to me yeah absolutely and I I really love the way that when you because there is a moment where you sort of begin to see how Bean sees Frankie and how different that image is to the way that Frankie sees herself like it's such a a beautiful moment and you think oh actually she's so consumed with her own image that she doesn't realize that people see her through a completely different lens it's so true and I you know what I wanted to write about and this is complicated like I am aware like me I am phenomenally embarrassingly self-absorbed and as soon as I start looking out and thinking of other people and how they're doing I feel a lot better and it's not and I think we still think oh you know someone's self-absorbed they are going around thinking they're great it's like no you know thinking about people are looking at me all the time and thinking bad things and it's still and it's like no they're not thinking of me at all and I suppose Frankie is learning that and I do think it's something for those of us who are raised and socialized as women we are we we do grow up thinking our function is ornamental that we're meant to be looked at and if we're not being looked at we're doing something wrong but we're probably not being looked at because that's the human experience it's quite a complicated thing to hold and I suppose I'm really hoping people come away feeling that it is completely normal and understandable to be a bit self-obsessed and a bit preoccupied with how how we are seen especially now my goodness and I know it's such a cliche to say oh social media but yeah I don't think we have begun to understand what that has done to our psyches that Mm. extra level of performance and showing ourselves and projecting an image of ourselves but also we will feel I think so much calmer and happier if we can begin to let that go and I think that letting go is the work of a lifetime that you know it's never too late to start oh 100 and I 
I'm also the oldest sister and I'm the oldest of four and oh wow yeah I just loved the way that that you wrote about their their dynamic and I do have a little quote because it was my one of my favorite bits in the book and um if you'll allow me to to read it so our listeners can have it read by a pro (laughs) so this is just a really small um quote that I found when Frankie is at Bean's house As Bean peels off her layers, I make my own way into the kitchen, straight to the fridge where the wine is. By the time she enters, I've filled two huge glasses and I'm sitting serene at Bean's Kitchen Island, my favourite place on earth, exactly where any lost soul would want to wash up. And I I don't really cry at at books, but that gave me a lump in my throat because I was like, of course, like your sister's... Your, your sister's home like the relationship is so precious that your favorite place is just sat at the kitchen table with her and I just thought that was just yeah the most beautiful way to capture it and it, it's it's all the little things in your sister relationship it's you know it's not necessarily all of the big things and I think that's why I loved that bit so much <laughs> oh thank you I'm so happy that that reached you and I suppose I think about when I'm with all my sisters and my mum and dad moved um in lockdown from the home where we all grew up I guess they moved there when I was 10 and I think they'd been there for 25 years when they left oh. I completely understand why you know they're they're near everyone they're in their 60s they want to kind of you know build a community and you know find a new place to be but you know they're sort of that there are various reasons Dorset you know wasn't necessarily the the best place for that that they wanted to be a bit near everyone they were also supposed to um buy a house that wasn't you know enormous and falling down it was much easier to look after but they didn't do that for another project but the kitchen table the big sort of wooden table in the kitchen and me and my sisters all sitting there drinking red wine for I was still drinking <laughs> then and the hours we spent and it was always you know after dinner and it would just you know but my mum and dad might sort of go and you know do something else and some would sort of open another bottle and I couldn't tell you again what we talked about I just remember always you know being so happy and it's always like it's normally like sort of the 23rd of December you know whenever I'm sort of home for Christmas or and I think especially I mean I love really love love being an aunt as Frankie does and you know that is really precious and special and two of my sisters and mothers and I have two three no yes sorry (laughs) (laughs) two nieces and three nephews and they are the joy of my heart but I think at that time of us all being together when it was just us I suppose that's maybe extra precious because I know that's in a time capsule we're never gonna have that again and that's you know it's right and good that we move forward and people's lives evolve and the family grows but yeah that feeling of just all six of us kind of elbows on the table Mm. leaning forward and laughing until we hurt that's what I wanted to evoke well you definitely did now I also it's probably going to be a number of times during this conversation where me and Lydia are like we love that you did this we love how you did this because there's there's very little that we didn't love and we obviously love you so (laughs) but I I love how how well that you write about about body image and about beauty standards and things like that and I think you know not only in limelight but also in insatiable when you explored eating disorders and um, and body image and 
and I I just really admire how sort of I don't know if unfiltered's the right word but just how you really get into how those things impact us as women and you know I just love the way that you write about these topics and in the prologue of Limelight Frankie says I know what I crave and I'm ashamed of it just once I want to be the pretty one and I'd, I'd love to know what draws you to these narratives you know questioning body image and beauty standards and and how they impact us well thank you so much for all of your kind words I mean I guess I'm a journalist and I've written sort of you know memoirs and quite personal books and in journalism and that kind of writing there's always a bit of pressure to tidy everything up you've got 800 words you've got 1500 words you can't then be like and I feel terrible and this is a big old mess and I can't resolve the thing you've got to be like and then I learned to just love myself and everything was fine and you know like I get that I do I I know and I don't want to kind of leave any reader you know just feeling sort of like broken and confused but I think I can be more honest in fiction the scenarios I invent are pure fantasy but the emotions I want to bring to the page are always really real and I love that getting the chance to kind of explore that rawness and that vulnerability and just being a woman in the world who I mean I've always felt I suppose kind of out of step with everyone and I'm right at the beginning of exploring I suppose my own neurodivergence and you know I've sort of been reading books and memoirs and it was I read Fern Brady's book and I over-identified with it wildly and I thought come on I always over-identify with everything wildly and then I read The Electricity of Every Living Thing by Catherine May and I went oh yeah I, I can't ignore this any longer can I I you know believe I am an autistic woman an autistic person and yet that feeling of always being kind of sat looking and looking and thought, what would a normal person do and I think that's why I write I think about this a lot that and I also I suppose write from a maybe a contrary like I can't be the only person who's looking out thinking what would a normal person do and must be other people who look at the world and they feel as though they've been sort of dropped into a shampoo advert of glossy serenity where they do not belong and also that thing, oh if only if only I had smooth thighs how different how much better would would my life be and I know I mean I suppose not in terms of you know my body but in terms of other things that have happened to me and definitely in writing there are things that have happened where before they've happened I thought oh if only I could get this if only I could achieve x or y I'd never be unhappy again I'd just be completely grateful and completely fulfilled and I'd be done I'm like nope that's not true so <laughs> And I think it's a way I'm really interested in, I suppose, the way that's used to kind of to keep us down. Mm -hmm. I think it's really useful to lots of people when we're using our brain power, worrying about the smoothness of our thighs. So I hope it's quietly radical in some ways. And I hope it's really, really comforting. I just, I write for selfish reasons. I want to prove that I'm, I'm not alone. I want to make sense of the mess in my head. But if anyone connects with that and relates to that and feels a bit more seen, then, you know, I've done my job and I'm delighted. Well, you've got two readers here that felt seen and really connected with what you'd written. I know that I can speak on behalf of both of us that we've both definitely struggled over the years with, with body image and with the unrealistic beauty standards that we see everywhere. (laughs) 
I mean, and, my goodness, I think in, you know, your work and your world and act, I can only imagine, I think all the time, I don't know if you've had this, about, and, you know, correct me because I might be wrong. I'm just sort of looking at it from the outside in, but going to an audition and seeing all of these versions of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you are, you literally and you see the same people as well and when you walk in and there's literally like just slight variations of you <laughs> it's very very odd but then you you don't look at the similarities you st- you do tend to look at the differences of oh she's taller or she's thinner or she's got a nice bum and I, a nice bum and yeah and it's <laughs> it's difficult <laughs> I'm asking for a me how do you manage that because I can't like how how do you stop yourself comparing yourself because like you can't can you there's gonna there's gotta be some of that is there anything that you've worked out is it like a tool to to keep that manageable or does it kind of come and go depending on how secure or knackered you're feeling I also think that I have just grown used to it so it's something that I can kind of like push away now in my mind that like you know you push that voice away that's telling you that you're not good enough and here's why and and you know I just try because obviously they say comparison is a thief of joy and all that kind of stuff and that's all very well and good saying it but it is you know it's not easy but you do have to just try not to not to compare and you know I really like listening to interviews with actors that have have made it big and hearing about their experiences with bad auditions and things like that because I'm like well if somebody you know wasn't so keen on Jodie Comer when she first came about then (laughs) come on like (laughs) (laughs) have you heard Bryony Gordon's interview with Joanna Scanlon which I think was on her Mad World podcast oh my goodness it's brilliant and it's I was drawn to it as well because I think Joanna Scanlon talks a bit about sobriety and heavy drinking and not drinking and I think she came to acting relatively late and I think she had a breakup I might have got this wrong and just couldn't get better and it's like she had the flu and she couldn't recover and I don't I can't remember if she was diagnosed like ME or chronic fatigue or something but it's because she sort of worked in theatre adjacent roles and kind of community drama and sort of wanted to act and wasn't acting and I think her doctor said if you don't act it will kill you your body Mm. you're just you're so your body is not aligned with what it needs to be doing but yeah it's so moving and inspiring about how you know our sort of goals and hopes and dreams can you know come for us and happen to us sort of at any time but yeah I was on like the other day there was a big piece and it was a kind of in a big newspaper and it was writers recommending other writers for like these are our best summer reads and I was neither asked to be in the piece or (laughs) none of my books are recommended and I got so far down and I was scrolling and feeling really 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 miserable and failed and then a voice in my head said this is an act of digital self-harm and I closed the window and I put my phone down I thought I'm learning I'm getting there yeah yeah yes (laughs) and well done because the closing of the of the phone or the laptop or whatever that is the hardest thing to do because I mean I am like a criminal for it where I will say oh you know I won't look at a review I won't do this I won't do that and then the review comes and I immediately open it and I immediately read it because I am uh, similar to you quite self-obsessed I'm an actor I love the attention so I'm like I have to read and then if there's anything anything that maybe I'm not mentioned or something's not written like the way I would like it to be I'm like crushed 
crushed and then it's only as I've got older and kind of more experienced that I've kind of gone I don't need to read it immediately so someone can just tell me if it's good I'm sure someone will tell me if it's a good one but I, I'm not gonna do it and I still get the urge all of the time to look but I think that sometimes the hardest thing is just saying I'm not going to put myself in that position. Mm. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because I think that urge, and I'm really interested in, you know, how we manage our urges. And that's what I've been trying to learn sort of over the last year. I've got to say, quitting drinking is the easiest thing I've ever done compared with quitting social media or mm. quitting my complicated relationship with it. They're like, how is one thing, you know, I mean, it's hard. Of course, it's it's really hard. And, you know, every day is a, a blessing and a bonus every sober day. But oof, compared with, you know, Instagram and how that makes me feel, blimey. But yeah, knowing, because I, you know, I think I'm the same. And I still remember when Insatiable came out, it might have been before like the week before and there was a really nice review in the independent but a lovely publicist millie sent it over on email and i don't know if i can't remember if i read it or not it was like beginning of uh 2021 it was really icy and snowy and i just remember feeling sick with adrenaline for an hour and going outside for a walk with my husband sliding and slipping and trying to like focusing on not falling over but just that awful it was a bit like i kept thinking about the bit in pulp fiction where Emma thurman gets the adrenaline shot in the heart and really like not in my body and trying to get Ooh. in my body and blah. And then there was another one, there was a bad review of careering in the Times. And I became aware, and it was the week before it came out. And I only became aware of it because my friend Kat, I think, put it on Instagram, maybe not realizing it's a bad review. I say like, wow, you know, this is big review in the Times. And then she said something about, you know, the reviewer. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to be good, is it? And I felt that awful, like, oh, and I just, you know what? I can't go back and rewrite the book. I've had plenty of constructive, useful feedback and criticism from my editor, from my agent, from all the people who are in a position to help. All that will happen if I read this review is I will wake up at four in the morning and think, what what was I not supposed to think about when I woke? Oh, yes. And I'll replay lines mm-hmm. of it. I'm like, I do not need that in my head. That is, mm-hmm. this is like junk food that will make me sick forever. That I will never <laughs> be able to digest and expel. Let's believe it be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and it is, it is, it's such a hard thing to teach yourself. And it's not something that I think we can get perfect. I think, yes. we, you know, it is like sobriety. It's just one day at a time and just checking that, you know, actually today I'm, I'm not going to read that review or I'm not going to do that. I might tomorrow, but I'm not today. And just sticking with it in the moment. I have to talk to you about sex. because we can't talk about this book we can't talk about limelight without talking about sexuality and the discoveries that frankie makes about her own sexuality and sensuality were so interesting there's such a kind of skewed version of how women should understand their own sexuality and be aware of their bodies and all of this stuff especially in social media but this book flips all of that on the on its head it kind of takes these stereotypes of what women should be what we should think about ourselves what we want to do what we like what we don't like and kind of goes 
no, <laughs> here's some other options, which is fantastic. What did you want the readers to take away from Frankie's own experiences with their sexuality, sensuality? Uh, that is a great question. Thank you. I suppose something that feels quite, I've been you know, thinking about for a while, is that there is lots of really like joyous sort of celebratory, inclusive kind of sex positive discourse, you know, sort of feel about like connection and realness, intimacy. And I wanted Frankie to have such a complicated relationship with her own sexuality that she wants to kind of compartmentalise it completely, that it is so tied up with the image of herself and this idea of performance. And I think we learned that something has happened to her to to make that happen for her. But I think on the one hand, it feels like a cliche. I don't want to do, you know, too many spoilers, but Frankie has had an exper- a very bad experience of, you know, assault and violence. And, you know, it can sort of, I was like preempting, so I could see reviewers being like, oh, you know, of course she's like this because this happened, what a cliche. But like, well, yeah, it's a cliche because like, yeah, me and every woman I know has lived through that. And that is why we want to, you know, we have these like desires and urges and fantasies and we want to seal them off that we feel like that expectation for us to be perfect is so mm. high that we want our sexual selves to be perfect. Like, And that's something I sort of, I suppose, I started exploring and visiting in Insatiable is that Violet is, feels so aware of her own kind of imperfection and she needs lots of you know like positive reinforcement and I I've heard a few women say that I think it comes up in that the 52 seductions book and I kind of feel you know this way too it's like I just I think my fetish might be like positive feedback like (laughs) actually all I really want is for someone you know to sort of like you know sort of beautiful and perfect and you know they can't live without me and I think it's really really rare for women to get that and we all feel like we don't deserve it and we see so many impossible examples of perfection and that's what we need just the the permission to be like look you're you're allowed to be here and we approve of you and you can Mm. get out of your own head and kind of into your body that Frankie's only able to find that through lenses and screens and filters that she is able to kind of it's like she's by being online she's kind of built a foundation she's got a smooth surface to build her sexuality on when underneath there's so much damage and it's all kind of you know yeah. mud and broken bricks which I think is the way a lot of women feel it's certainly how I feel I was sexually abused by a neighbor when I was five years old and you know I've never had a you know a healthy jumping off point but then that's and I think that you know comes back to that sort of this idea of you know we feel sort of self-obsessed and alone in our flaws and it's horrifying how common that is that we're all I think women you know one way or another we are hopefully not but you know possibly by by people but sometimes by society at large we're we're groomed and abused and tripped into and sort of tipped into something before we're ready and we're all just trying to kind of like pour cement over that and get the what's it called the thing that looks like an iron (laughs) (laughs) yeah or maybe an iron just like let me just be I just want to be Barbie for 10 minutes and forget who I am and I think there's so much pressure to kind of like be real be raw like accept your full self and love your body and be positive and everything about it and I was like well that's actually that's a really big confronting ask for most of us absolutely I mean firstly I'm so sorry that that happened to you and I think you know you're so right in saying that I think people would be surprised by how many women have had 
you know, similar experiences. I don't think people realize, I don't think men realize, you know, just how many women have, you know, had those experiences. But I think, you know, the way that you explored sexuality and like you said, that need for like positive feedback and, and validation, you know, it really called into question the whole sort of, does it make you a bad feminist sort of narrative that we see on social media? And I think, you know, that's what I found in this book. You know, she she puts herself online and she, you know, thrives off that validation to an extent. And, you know, there's there's also Maz Clark, who she encounters later on. And uh, Maz Clark has a lot of things to say about her originally. I'm trying to be really careful of giving out any spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me if I am. But originally, you know, Maz Clark has a lot of not so great things to say about what she's done. And I just think, you know, it's so interesting this sort of ongoing discussion online and debate about women's bodies and about the way that we choose to present ourselves online and whether that makes us a good or bad feminist you know it's all it's all basically a load of bullshit really, isn't it? it really is it really is I think as well some of my favorite moments and it happens a few times in the book and this isn't a spoiler but when people meet Frankie they tend to say oh you're nothing like your photos <laughs> oh honestly every time someone said that to it it was like a kick in my stomach I felt so sick I was like oh of course you're not like your photos you know she didn't walk around with a filter on her face carefully yeah. posed you know she's a real human being a real woman with you know real flaws but you know the audacity of some people to say such things yeah. and you know that is not not something that's made up for a book that is something that I have seen experienced and it, I think it's commonplace for women to be judged by what they put online and compared to what they look like in real life. I think about that a lot because on the one hand, it's really, really complicated when there are now like when we talk about beauty standards and what we can do to ourselves and how we can change, it becomes ever more expensive and invasive and there is an argument that's like no it's horrible to make us feel as though we should spend money on kind of curating and maintaining a face and a body to be acceptable on the other hand I think that maybe in you could argue the way we choose to put ourselves together be that through filters or fillers or anything in between is that more real than how we appear, you know, when we've got autonomy that, you know, in cultures where there is, you know, sort of rampant misogyny and women have no rights, and no freedom. Women are told to cover themselves. Women are forbidden from, you know, buying makeup. Is online Frankie the real Frankie more than the Frankie who walks around is because, you know, online Frankie has more choices and I really this is a complicated area to for me to stray into but when I think about the conversations we're having at the moment around sort of you know gender and sexuality and like trans rights and like how is that a debate no human rights for human people for all of us for everyone let's include everyone but also I think all the time who in the world cannot empathize with that situation of your insides and your outsides not matching mm. who doesn't feel as though the person they are isn't outwardly visible and you know there are so many versions and variations of that and I have you know nothing but I don't know you know love and sort of when I think about you know my my trans friends and the the vulnerability and the frustration and you know that they hopefully in some ways it's easier to kind of to to come out and be you and and build the person that you really really are then mm. you know I think we must 
encourage that and hold space for it and you know have it be a wonderful thing but then I also wonder whether the people who don't aren't you know able to be generous and kind and inclusive and you know on the on the right side of history if it's because they feel so sad and resentful for themselves that they have never been able to make peace of themselves and they're like well if I can't then no one should and if it's just as simple as that I mean it's probably not as simple as that is it but I I mean I think it definitely is partly that that you know they're they have so many issues with their own self that they like you said they don't want to see anybody else sort of come to that acceptance of themselves and that's where all this cruelty towards trans people stems from but like you said like human human rights are human rights like we shouldn't be nobody should be treated the way that trans people are being treated and I'm you know I'm really glad that we see so many people in support of it and I'd like to think there's more people in support of you know our trans friends than there are people against them because Mm. yeah it makes no sense to me why anybody would be against you know somebody finding their true self it is just a really frustrating conversation like it shouldn't be a debate but it is you know now while we're on the the topic of bodies um I I really wanted to talk about the the narrative in the book about, and I don't want to give spoilers, so I don't, I'm not going to mention, I'm going to let you mention who it is, but there is a cancer storyline in the book. And, you know, you explore sort of this experience of, of dealing with a loved one having cancer in such a in such a moving way. And I was reading your book at the time that um my nana was having treatment for breast cancer so I found actually a great deal of comfort in in reading um you know Frankie's thoughts and experiences as she went along I think she she says at one point someone needs to correct this administrative error and I was just like yes like it's just so hard to comprehend that you know the worst possible thing has happened to somebody you love and I I wondered you know why why did you feel it was important for for Frankie to to sort of move through this experience and and did you feel that it sort of changed her own perspective on her own body through seeing somebody she loved go through cancer um first I'm so so sorry to hear about your nana and I think of you both and you. I, that's you know huge huge heavy thing to go through and I think that I was very curious about that specifically because you know when I've talked to sort of friends and loved ones who've you know been through that it's about you know breasts are so sort of connected with you know our sort of sexuality and femininity and identity and then I think lots of the rhetoric around it's all very you know well-meaning great this idea of sort of being tough and being a a survivor and I've talked to people who said I've you know I don't feel like I've had the space to sort of to fall apart or to that I don't feel like I'm allowed to say I don't like this change to my body I feel really you know bewildered and alienated by this and yeah I think as to sort of as a as a novelist I guess as a storyteller the chance to investigate that relationship and kind of you know the vulnerability they both feel and the tension points just what it is to see the you know Frankie believes Bean is the strongest person in the world and that Bean is always the one who can fix everything and solve everything and then Frankie is invited to be strong and it takes her a little while to accept and understand the invitation I was listening to Catherine May and PKI are talking about, I suppose, sort of 
travel and culture and optimism and PK, I was talking about growing up in the UK and then California and then finding a home in Japan and moving to Japan. And he feels that culturally Japan is a place where death and tragedy and plague and disaster is sort of much more accepted as a, a thing that will happen. And California is a place of sort of relentless optimism and people craving happiness and pursuing happiness and becoming very unhappy when things aren't perfect. And maybe I don't know if there's a bit of me that wanted to kind of explore that because of what we have all been through together, that death has been so present for so many of us and, mm-hmm. you know, illness and bodies. And we, that's something that I think here in the UK and in the Western world we're so frightened of and that we want to push away. But yeah, and, you know, again, wanting to write about that because I think, again, it's something that so many women, you know, so many people go through and experience. And I'm really so, so moved and delighted to hear that that resonated with you. And that was sort of, comfort and actually that's that's the loveliest feedback I've heard from and from a handful of people who've either had breast cancer or had someone close to them go through it and because that was another thing in the edits where I was so nervous about doing justice to that storyline I just kind of abandoned it and my editor kept pushing back and being like look we can't just leave this here we've really got to do this so well and so carefully and I was like I know tell me how I'm really frightened <laughs> so if people don't take anything else from the book but that I would just be you know really delighted and really really grateful no you did it beautifully so yeah thank you it was absolutely so moving and so and just done with a lightness of touch that I think it really needed on the flip side (laughs) I would love to talk to you about the humor in the novel because it is a very funny book (laughs) good (laughs) <laughs> it is hysterical. Um, there is a moment with a plate of biscuits in Frankie's mum's house where she feels like she can't take this biscuit and it's the look on her mum's face that made me absolutely burst out laughing. And just so just so many turns of phrase and so many brilliant moments, especially with um, a character called Miriam, who I think is going to stay with me for the rest of my life, just like she's my spirit animal. <laughs> I love writing Miriam. She was oh, great. She made me so very happy. Funny. And and she just every line that she came out with was just funny. It just na- and she's a naturally funny character. This isn't this isn't you know cracking jokes. This is just the way that she speaks. And I'm sure there are some people that that we all know who are just naturally really funny. Was having these comedic characters and elements in the novel really important for you to include? Does it just come naturally or were you conscious of how dark some of it was that you needed that kind of bit more balance? I mean, honestly, all I ever really want to be is funny. And I love making myself laugh. I'm quite an easy <laughs> laugh. And sometimes these people do just sort of get going. And Miriam was inspired by, I was talking to my friend Lisa ages ago, and she talked about one of her best friends at university, who Lisa described as, or Lisa said this friend of hers described herself as a jubu, a, a Jewish Buddhist woman. And Lisa, and I didn't put this in the book because I think this person that's like 
younger than Miriam but said that her friend would kind of dress in this you know like like big collars and quite I suppose like orthodox clothes but almost like a sexy version so it'd be like <laughs> yeah big sort of pilgrim collar but quite short or you know sort of like <laughs> serious sort of solemn thing but cropped and this idea of those two cultures coming together in a character and I mean I think Miriam is sort of like a dream imaginary friend for me she's like she's just so warm and open-minded and forgiving and for Frankie to have a foil who is just like yeah the universe will take care of it and but she's such <laughs> but it is she is like grounded in some kind of you know there's there's wisdom there and that as well Frankie is also sort of going through like I'm so alone and friendless and oh it's all terrible for me and then getting to the end and be like what am I talking about like <laughs> yes my best friend of the whole world is Miriam as Mrs Antribus the fabulous woman who lives upstairs and all these like cool older women who are just kind and empathetic and reaching for her but also the joke that Frankie and it was again this is just to sort of to make me laugh and I was like I don't know if I'll be allowed to do this that Frankie works in this like a copy shop like Pronto-Print and they own it's only still going because that's like there are no Pronto-Print like that their function is over and it's because the people who run it have just forgotten that branch exists Miriam is there be like well you know if they shut us down they shut us down and Frankie is sort of like hobbling from shift to shift be like how is this gonna work because oh. uh, also all my favorite 90s slacker movies like people work in a print shop and there's a really I think it's called is it called the watermelon woman I'm just gonna have a quick google yes a 1996 film called the watermelon woman which I love which is landmark in queer cinema written edited and directed by Cheryl Dune Dunier, and she is investigating racist tropes in cinema and like the the mammy character I think the watermelon woman is pr- probably on movie if it's not it will be on movie again if it hasn't been already but it's really funny and really great but it's got that lovely like a bit of a reality bites vibe where they're all working in I think oh god actually now I've said that they might be working in a video shop not a copy shop but that sort of <laughs> the vibe, <similar laughs> yes. vibe. <laughs> I really you know miss that t- where that could be a job but we're not all like must hustle must have 17 careers <laughs> and excels them all and they'll be like I'm just gonna work in a copy shop also pronto print should exist because like how who's got a functional printer in their house how often do you want to go and get something printed well and not have a place to do it it's so true it's so true and I just love the fact that like she needs if Frankie needs to go in the middle of the day Miriam's like bye yeah. see you later <laughs> yeah it doesn't matter it does not matter you don't need to be here neither of us do <laughs> In that way, it's the dream job. Yeah. yeah. There's um there's also a moment when uh Frankie's like really struggling and she's I think I think she's actually talking to Miriam as well and she's sort of word vomiting on how she's feeling and she goes, you know, and I was I was walking to work today and the pigeons just didn't understand that uh, I needed <laughs> privacy at this difficult time. <laughs> there's just so many moments that are just so great. And I also yeah. really enjoyed the the dynamic between between Frankie and her her sister Bean and her mom. I just thought that brought around like lots of great, great humor and comedic moments as well. I think their mom is just such a great character and that whole dynamic between sisters and their mother and being like, why is mom acting like this? And you're just kind of like, like you said before about your own sisters, like there's just context that other people wouldn't understand. I mean, to be honest, like with Alison, 
she I don't know where that came it's quite frightening how I think she exists and she visited me I don't think I wrote those bits <laughs> it was a real like and she would she would not shut up and she stole all the best lives like where is this coming from <laughs> I love Absolutely. that now I have I've just noticed the time and I am devastated we have to let you go Daisy but before we do you did touch on it earlier but what is next for you oh so book number four you're better than this is in for its first I've written the first draft I'm sometimes I think about it I'm like I think it's quite good and sometimes I think about it oh no oh <laughs> lord but hopefully that will be slated to release in 2024 I've got other I've always got projects on so um, your book podcast is currently in its finishing this series and recording the next series so coming up I think we're going to have season finale episodes with Andy Osho Lisa Jewell and we got coming up oh I think we're interviewing uh Yomi Adagoki in um on Monday and I love the list I'm really excited about that there's also a bit of screen stuff bubbling away in the background but as you know who knows I don't know whether (laughs) how much to fear the jinx and I've also and this is like way down the line and again it's all a bit like am I going to jinx this but I wrote a book last year for a tiny indie publisher called The Pound Project and it's called Burn Before Reading and it's about my love of reading and how that has you know soothed me and sort of supported my mental health and I'm hoping to and I'm in some talks at the moment about developing a sort of a longer version of that and doing a bit of non-fic memoir again alongside the fic I cannot wait to read that if it does come out if it does happen I really hope it does and um, you also have the the Daisy is um podcast series which you did with Insatiable and Careering are you also doing one with Limelight as well that's just my own curiosity and maybe one day because I was thinking about how because I think there'd be really interesting conversations to be had about attention and mm. where that comes from I'm uh, trying to develop a different series at the moment to do with sort of after my first year of sobriety and talk about quitting and the the things we quit that feel sort of almost unequivocally positive and good and everyone's like oh yes well done you quit that but also conversations about quitting jobs quitting relationships quitting jobs is one of my favorite subjects so I'm sort of you know thinking about about all of those things but I would also just quite like to sack it off and read lovely books in my hammock <laughs> and swim in the sea really quite lazy my summer lazy yes. girl vibe yeah it always it always comes about at this time of year you know you're, you're ready for your summer holidays as though you're still in school I feel exactly the <laughs> <Yes>! same <laughs> completely that should be the school holidays now what am I doing <laughs> but Daisy thank you so much for coming on to a pair of bookends I'm sure I can speak for both of us that we've absolutely loved having you on we've loved this conversation there's probably a hundred more things that we could have spoken to you about in regards to limelight and all your other books but I will be for our listeners benefit be popping a link to all of your books in the show notes and to your incredible podcast as well which I love so much um so thank you so so much (laughs) thank you for having me it has been an absolute joy and listeners if you enjoyed this episode please don't forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps us to reach more listeners please go buy yourself a copy of limelight and uh, give us a tag if you read and love which I'm sure you all will go give Daisy a follow which you can do so 
on Instagram, I'm at, at the Daisy B E E at the end, like the buzzing thing. On Twitter, I'm at not roller girl. Um, I've got a Substack called Creative Confidence Clinic, which is a bit of a space for writers and creative people who need a bit of a boost. Also, I know that your listeners are all over the country and all over the world, but I know you guys are in Manchester. Yes. If you, a listener, are in, in near Manchester, can I shout out about the House of Books and Friends, one of my favorite bookshops? Yes. They're a social enterprise, they're so brilliant, they're so great, and I love them. If you want a lime light um I would love it if you got it from those guys yes they are Amazing. a great yeah. bookshop we do love them we do very much so but Daisy thank you so much I uh love you very much and I'm very pleased that we got you on and goodbye I love you <laughs> thank you so much goodbye